Well, as strange as it feels, and as sad as it is to say, only three sermons remain until I depart. Only three. And as I've pondered my departure, I've thought, what do I want to say? What sort of things do I want to focus on on my last three sermons? As I pondered this, what I've done is I've chosen three passages that are not only dear to my heart, but that really communicate my desire for you, this congregation. My desire for you to know and to show the transforming power of Jesus. That communicate my desire for you to more and more rest in the sufficiency of Christ alone. And that communicate my desire for you to be a congregation that always listens to the voice of Jesus. Those are the three things, the three passages that I'm going to focus on on the next three Sundays. And for this first Sunday, leading to the departure, I, want to, I chose Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Let us now give our attention to God's good and gracious word. Mark begins, they, that is Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This man lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that is the ten towns of that region, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Mark begins this amazing story by simply setting the scene for us. He he writes in verse 1 that they, that is Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. That is, after Jesus had calmed the storm on the sea, he and his disciples sailed to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And in doing so, they came to a population that was primarily full of Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. How do we know from the story that this is a place primarily populated by Gentiles? Pigs, that's right, because of the presence of the pigs. Most of you know that pigs, according to the Jewish law, were unclean animals. They were untouchable animals. And because they were faithful Jews, steered clear of pigs. You'd never see a Jew herding pigs. So the fact that pigs are present in this story tells us that we're now in Gentile territory, which raises the question, Why has Jesus, a faithful Jew, come to Gentile territory? Well, he's come here to do what he's already been doing in Israel. He's come to demonstrate his power that alone can deliver human beings from the dehumanizing effect of darkness. He's come to fulfill what God had promised in Isaiah 42, and that is to bring out those who sit in the prison of darkness. You see, the fact that Jesus sailed to Gentile territory tells us right here in the gospel that Jesus' mission, although first to the Jews, wasn't just to the Jews. No, His divine mission is ultimately to and for the whole world. Christianity is a worldwide movement. And therefore, Jesus' arrival in the country of the Gerasenes serves as a sign that Jesus is indeed the Redeemer of all, of all races and of all ethnicities. Yes, He's the Jewish Messiah, but it's because He's the Jewish Messiah that He's at the very same time the Lord and Savior of the world. He's the one who stepped out of heaven in order to unleash His gracious and transforming power in the wide world of both Jew and Gentile. Because He not only worked in the region of Israel, He also worked in the region of the Gentiles, and even now He's at work in the whole world by His Spirit, at work piercing the darkness and bringing life out of death. Now, in looking at this story, One of the things that should strike us is the suddenness with which it all begins. For as soon as Jesus stepped foot on the shore, Mark tells us that he was immediately met by a man that's described as having an unclean spirit, that is, a demon. And you'll notice in verse 6 that Mark elaborates on this sudden encounter by telling us that when this man saw Jesus from afar, he rushed, he ran to meet him. He ran to confront him. And in telling us this, what Mark wants us to see, here as he sets the scene, he wants us to see at the beginning that Jesus has come into this unclean world 
for the purpose of confronting the darkness. Jesus came into this world to do battle with Satan, to do battle with Satan and all of his minions. You see, in the Bible, Satan's referred to as the ruler of this world. And he's described in this way because when humanity turned away from God, they, we, became enslaved to Satan. At the fall, humanity forfeited the right to rule the world on God's behalf. And as a result of their forfeiture, Satan was all too ready to scoop it up. And hence, he's called the ruler of this world. And as a ruler, Satan has as this, has as this is for his one goal. As a ruler, he has one goal, the distortion of creation and the destruction of humanity. Distortion and destruction. That's the intent of Satan. And that's why his rule is spoken of as a domain of darkness. Darkness that's affected all and from which none have the power to escape. Under Satan's domain, fallen humanity lies helpless and hopeless. We dwell in darkness rather than in light. We live among the tombs rather than experience life. We claim to be free. But the truth is, left to ourselves, we're enslaved to sin and self and Satan. And this enslavement, this enslavement slowly but surely erodes our humanity. Under Satan's domain, we become less and less human. But here's the good news. God has personally and powerfully come into the darkness of Satan's domain. And He's done so in Jesus. In Jesus, who is none other than the Son of the Most High. He's God in the flesh. In Jesus, God the Creator and the Redeemer has come into the darkness for the purpose of delivering and restoring bound up and broken human beings. Humans, like the man we meet in this story. And you'll notice after setting the scene, what does Mark do? Well, he describes this man to us, this demon-possessed man. And in so doing, he tells us six things to describe this man and his condition. I'm going to go through these very quickly. First, he tells us that he lived among the tombs. He actually says it three times to press home the point that this man made his home among the dead. Because in reality, this man was as good as dead, both spiritually and socially. He lived in the darkness of death. Second, Mark tells us this man wasn't just possessed by one demon, but by multiple demons. We see this in verse 9 when Jesus asked for the demon's name, to which he responds, My name is Legion, for we are many. Just as the legions of Rome were occupying and controlling most of the known world at the time, so these demons occupied and controlled this man. And as a result, he lost all sense of his human identity, all sense of control over his words and actions and thoughts. Third, Mark tells us that he was naked. We know this because after he's restored, we see him clothed. Yet before his restoration, he went about without covering, meaning he lived a life of continual shame. 
Because in the Bible, public nakedness was a sign of shame. This man lived under the weight of a constant humiliation, both in body and in soul. Fourth Mark tells us that he cried out day and night. Why did he cry out? Well, because of the accusations of the demons. Satan is the accuser. And therefore, night and day, this legion of demons accused this man of his own guilt and of his own shame. Daily, this man was confronted with condemnation, condemnation from which he couldn't escape. And as a result, he cried out in agony and in despair. Fifth Mark tells us that this man hated himself. And as a result of this hatred, he was bent on self-destruction. Verse 5, we're told that he would bruise or cut himself with stones. This man was a cutter. Maybe he found relief in harming himself. Maybe because of the incessant accusation of the demons, he felt that he needed to beat himself up, that he somehow deserved to be hurt. Maybe he just wanted to die, to self-mutilate, to the point of self-destruction. And then lastly, Mark tells us that this man was indeed utterly hopeless. We read this in verses 3 and 4. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, the people just trying to keep him in one place. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one, no other human had the strength to subdue him. No one could tame him. No one could help him. No one could restore him. His condition was beyond normal human help. What a sad state this man was in. Now here's my question. Do you recognize this man? You should. You've actually seen him in the mirror. This man is actually us. He's us apart from Jesus' transforming power. Now, yes, I know not to the same degree, but certainly to some degree. For in this man, Mark is painting a picture of fallen humanity. I mean, think about it. Apart from Jesus, where do we live? We live among the tombs. As Paul tells us, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Apart from Jesus, we live under the influence of a pervading and penetrating darkness that distorts and dehumanizes us, that turns us in on ourselves, and then in turn causes us to lose our sense of identity. Most specifically, the identity of being God's image bearers. On our own, we don't know how or what it means to be truly human as God intended. At the same time, apart from Jesus, our lives are filled with guilt and shame that can only leave us at some level loathing ourselves because we know that there's something deeply wrong. And we know we've done wrong. And apart from Jesus, we're hopeless for nothing in this world, neither psychology, nor politics, nor education, nor activism has the remedy to subdue our greatest problem. What is our greatest problem? It's sin that leads to death. Sin that affects us spiritually, socially, and physically. To some degree, you and I are this man. But thanks be to God 
For just as Jesus arrived on that shore and stepped out of the boat to meet him, so he's come to us in order to expel the darkness and to transform our lives. And it's this transformation that we actually see in verses 6 to 13. Now, we, we have to admit that what took place between Jesus and Legion, between Jesus and these many demons, is indeed strange. I've already mentioned that how this man, when under the influence of Legion, when he saw Jesus from afar, what did he do? He, he ran to him. Why did he run to Jesus? Well, he actually ran to Jesus to defend his territory. He's not running to Jesus to be healed. He's running to Jesus to defend his territory. That's what actually lay behind his question in verse 7. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Another way to translate this would be, why are you on my turf, Jesus? It's a question of defense and protest. But notice the position from which this protest came. It was a position of prostration. We're told in verse 6 that when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and immediately what? He fell on his face. Yes, he protested. Because none of us by nature want Jesus to change us. Satan doesn't want to give you up. He fights, and yet he fights on his face. For in meeting Jesus, who was Legion meeting? God. God in the flesh. He was being confronted by God himself in Jesus. And that's why his initial protest quickly turned into a request. Verse 7 again, I adjure you, don't torment me. Now, you ought to hear the irony, right? Jesus, don't torment us like we've been tormenting this poor man for these many years. And then to top it off, the demons beg Jesus, verse 10, not to send them out of the country. At least let us stay in the country of the Gentiles. Go back to where you came from with the Jews, that's fine, but leave the rest of the world to us. But again, that's not Jesus' mission, is it? Let us just stay in the country of the Gentiles. And you see what's happening? Legion in meeting Jesus knows he's already been defeated. So he tries to strike a deal with Jesus. Don't torment us. Don't send us out of the country. Rather, send us to the pigs. And Jesus says, okay. He gives them permission. And so they go and possess the pigs. And as a result, the pigs go mad. And they rush into the sea and they're drowned. Now, for some, this is a funny story. Certainly wouldn't be funny for a Jew, right? Unclean spirits going into unclean animals. They actually deserve each other. For some, this is a pretty sad story. How could Jesus have let those demons do that to the poor little piggies? I can understand that, but I'm also one who happens to like bacon and sausage, so I don't really mind the death of pigs. Some of you do. I get that. What are we to make of all this? What does Mark want us to see in Jesus sending legion into the pigs and then ultimately into the sea? Well, first he wants us to see that that Jesus in allowing legion to enter the pigs actually served as a visible demonstration of the severity of this man's condition as well as a visible demonstration of the strength of Jesus' power to transform 
When people saw 2,000 pigs go mad on a hillside, jump into the sea, they couldn't deny how bad off this man really was. At the same time, they couldn't deny Jesus' power to deliver people from darkness. Second, Jesus allowed Legion to go into the pigs in order to show Legion's true intention, which was the destruction of this man. In other words, what the demons do to the pigs is what they ultimately would have done to this man if they would have had their way. They would have ultimately destroyed him because, again, the intent of Satan and his forces is the destruction of humanity. Satan is never out for your good. He hates you with every fiber of his being. His goal for your life is your destruction. That's why he tempts you to sin and to turn away from God, to trust in yourself because he knows where it leads. Your destruction. For the darkness of sin and Satan always leads to death. Third, and related to this, Jesus allowed Legion to go into the pigs to show that his true intention is the restoration of humanity. Jesus' main goal was the expulsion of the demons from this man, which means people are more important than pigs. Jesus came to deliver and transform humanity, for he knows that if humanity isn't restored, then all of creation, including pigs, will be lost. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, this creation is eagerly waiting Waiting for what? The revelation, the restoration of humanity, because only if humanity is first restored will creation be renewed. But then there's one final reason Jesus allowed Legion to go into the pigs, and it was to show that the ultimate place reserved for the devil and all his forces is hell. In the Bible, the sea is the symbol of chaos and judgment. In many respects, it represents hell. So Jesus sent legion to the pigs that they might ultimately be driven back to hell, which is why he came into the world. But even more than all this, more than than what happened to the pigs, Mark wants us to see the effect, the effect on the man after Jesus cast out legion. What was the effect? Well, we're told in verse 16 that when people came to see what had taken place, they saw the man sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. How long had it been since they'd seen this particular man clothed and in his right mind? It must have been years and years, but now here he was, sitting no longer among the tombs, but sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's now clothed, and clothed not just physically, but spiritually. He's now clothed in the healing of Jesus. And at the same time, he's in his right mind, no longer having a mind filled with accusations, self-hatred, and condemnation, but with a mind filled with peace. Peace because he's been healed by the power of Jesus. This man has been transformed. He's no longer the demon-possessed man. No, now he's the man who's been touched and transformed by Jesus' powerful mercy. This man's been given a new identity, the identity of belonging to Jesus, and no one, no one could deny it. 
No one could deny that he had been changed. No one else could have done this. What no one else could do, Jesus did for this man. He delivered him. He brought him from death to life. And as a result of this transformation, rejoicing in the country of the Gerasenes broke out, right? No, I don't see that. Uh, Rather, at the end here, we, we see no rejoicing. We see no gratitude on the part of the onlookers. Rather, all we see, all we see in this story is fear leading to rejection. We're told in verse 15 that when the people saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And in their fear, what do they do? They beg Jesus to go away. They beg Jesus to leave. In response to Jesus transforming this man, they want Jesus out of there. They didn't want to deal with this powerful presence. I think we could see it this way. They were more comfortable with having a demon-possessed madman on the outskirts of their town than having Jesus in their midst. I actually think one of the reasons they were more comfortable with that is because if there's a madman out there, they could say, that's what's wrong with the world. That's what's wrong with our society. He represents it all. It actually turned them away from seeing their own issues because they could put it on the guy out there. I think also at the same time they wanted Jesus gone is because they were more concerned for their pigs than for the person Jesus had healed. I mean, Jesus' presence showing up cost them their pigs. And, and the cost of their pigs far outweighed the gain of a transformed human being. And, and as an aside, and, and this is something we have to take seriously, do we do the same thing? Are we more concerned with our economy, our entertainment, our politics, than we are with seeing men and women and children transformed by the power of Jesus? Are we more out for ourselves than we are seeing people changed by Jesus? Put another way, are we okay with Jesus as long as Jesus doesn't mess with our so-called comfortable lives? Now quickly, the last thing I want us to see is the way the story concludes. It actually concludes the way that it began, with Jesus interacting with this man. We're told in verse 18 that the man begged Jesus to take him with him. Now, you can imagine the scene. Just imagine if you're this man. You've been delivered. You've you've experienced the transforming power of Jesus, and at the same time, you've seen how all of the people around you are reacting They're begging Jesus to leave. They don't want Jesus to be there. And as the man realizes these these folks are more concerned with their pigs than they are with me, he turns to Jesus and begins to beg Jesus, please get me out of here. Please take me with you. And think about this. The demons beg Jesus to send them into the pigs. Jesus says, okay. The people beg Jesus to leave. He says, okay. Now this transformed man begs Jesus to take him with him, and Jesus says, no. Why does he say no? Well, because here's the gospel truth. 
Jesus transforms us to send us. To send us where? Well, where did he send this man? Well, he sent him to live among his own, even among those who were now hostile to him. My friends, if you belong to Jesus, if you've experienced his transforming power, then you too have been sent. Sent to your home, your neighborhood, your city, your workplace, your school. Sent to proclaim with your lips and lives what Jesus has done for you. How he's shown you his mercy. Which does raise the question, do you know what Jesus has done for you personally? And I'm not saying here just intellectually, but personally and deeply, functionally. Do you know that He, the Son of God, willingly stepped out of heaven to confront the darkness that pervades and permeates each of our lives? The darkness of our sin, the darkness of our selfishness, the darkness of death itself. Do do you know that He came to restore your humanity, to restore your identity of being a beloved image bearer and child of God? And how has Jesus done this? Well, by putting Himself in our place, by suffering the death we deserved. On the cross, Jesus was engulfed by the sea of God's judgment so that we could be overwhelmed by the unfathomable love of His acceptance. Jesus was bruised by the stones of our sin. He cried out in agony on the cross, for He was forsaken that we might be reclaimed. Jesus went into the tomb of our death so that death itself might be destroyed. After dying, He was raised, and in being raised, He now continues His transforming work in the power of His Spirit. For by His Spirit, what what does the Spirit do? What does the Spirit of Jesus do? He leads us to sit at His feet as His disciples. By the Spirit, Jesus clothes us. In what? In His own righteousness. In His own acceptance. By the Spirit, Jesus puts us in our right minds, gives us minds that are filled with peace, with the peace of knowing that if we belong to Jesus, we are loved, we are forgiven, we're accepted, we're secure, and more and more we're being transformed to look like Him, the true human being. Only Jesus has the power to subdue the darkness of our sin and death so as to bring us into the light and love of His saving life. What Jesus did for this man, He has done for us if we belong to Him. And so let me ask it again. Do you know, I mean really know what Jesus has done for you? Well, if you do, don't be silent. No, go and show, go and tell others how much the Lord has done for you. Humbly proclaim with your lips as well as your lives that He has shown you His mercy. He has given you what you do not deserve. His mercy that has taken you, a bound up sinner who lived among the tombs of your sin and shame and condemnation. 
and His mercy has brought you from death to life. Go that others might marvel. And in marveling, give Him, give Christ all the glory. If you're a Christian, you have been touched and transformed by Jesus' mercy so as to tell out His mercy so that by His mercy still at work in our lives, others might see it and be drawn to it. May Trinity always be a church that tells out how much Jesus has done for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank You that You have transformed us and are transforming us. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Son, Your beloved Son, that in Him You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into His kingdom. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of all our sins. In Him we have a new identity, a solid and lasting identity of being Your children. May this mercy that is powerful to change be evident in our lives, in all areas, for all Your glory. Amen.